here this morning, uh, you're very welcome now. You would have been even more welcome if you'd have come this morning. <laughs> if you weren't here for the lunch, that's your loss. It was a lovely lunch, thank you all very much, those of you who cooked it, we really appreciated it. Uh, it's really good, thank you so much indeed. Now, um, the plan is for this afternoon, um, just mindful of the heat as well. I mean, if you have to want to roll up your sleeves or walk around a bit or go near a fan, mm-hmm. our friends here have commandeered the fan. We don't envy them, but <laughs> it's fine. But if you want to come and stand in front of it for a bit, that's fine. Uh, but the plan is we're going to look at the scriptures together for about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then at quarter past five-ish, we're going to have a time of prayer. Okay, and what Guy has asked me to do is to speak about corporate prayer this afternoon. So that's what I'm going to do. If you don't come to the church here, I trust that even so, that what we look at will be of great um, instruction for you and uh, encouragement as well. So would you turn please to the book of Job? Be as the giving up of the ghost. 
Well, your version, if you're reading from another version other than the authorised, which is what I was reading, may say something different, and I will refer to one or two other translations as we go through this little passage of the scripture together. And <clears throat> I've been meditating and considering the book of Job over the last little while, really, quite a few months now. <clears throat> and you're probably familiar with the story that uh, Job uh, is really going through <coughs> um, some real suffering. And the Lord has allowed it, the enemy, he's allowed the, 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 the enemy, Satan himself, to target Job. And Job hasn't a clue what's going on. And these three friends of his, who are certainly the older, no, all three of them, I think, are, are older, and they come alongside their, their, their younger friend, and they see him with his great misery, his great suffering, his great pain, all that he has lost, and they do a very wise thing, in that, and that is that they sit with him, and they don't say anything. How wise. They say nothing for seven days. That's a bit of an encouragement to us, isn't it, really? If we see somebody going through it, then why not give it a week? <clears throat> Don't come in with your tutney worth of advice. Give it a little while before you say something. Very often, people just need you to sit with them. But, you know, what I have... <clears throat> uh, come to realise is that actually the three friends, a lot of what they say actually is very good stuff. It's very good sense. And a lot of it is, is, is godly and uh, shows an incredible understanding of the Lord. The trouble is that it was misapplied. It's not what they were saying was wrong, but it was applied to a different situation. <clears throat> And so what we're going to do is to look at these words which come from Zophar, the Naamathite. <coughs> these friends actually live outside of the Promised Land, outside of Israel. Job predates the Exodus, contemporary possibly of Abraham or even, uh, even before that. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And Zophar was one of those. So these are all Gentiles, uh, Job included. And we're going to look at what Zophar says in these words. <clears throat> because it seems to me, and alright, it shouldn't apply to Job, but friends, it does apply to us. That's what I'm going to suggest to you. The second thing, by way of qualification really, is to say that actually these words are spoken to a single person. So there are principles here which apply to us as individuals. I'm going to try and... Uh, include the corporate application. This is not uh, a talk on how for you to pray on your own, though, though there are some uh, very similar principles, of course, but it's really for us to learn how to pray together. <clears throat> so I'm going to, to, to widen out the context of it to include the matter of praying together rather than just praying on our own. But so far, let me just tell you something about him. The scriptures uh, uh, give us his name. I think I only suggest it to you for a reason. All right? Names are very significant in scripture, or can be. And Zophar's name has the meaning of um, a sparrow. Somebody, or to put it in the kind of internet days, a Twitter. <laughs> 
literally dancing round in circles. Dancing round it, or going round in circles. <clears throat> so you may think, well, I'm not like that, and uh, we can forget about this man. Let me remind you of Psalm 84, which I read yesterday. Isn't there a verse in the psalm that says, yes, even the sparrow has found her a house in the courts of the Lord, in the house of God. So in a way, I take that as a great encouragement. You know, whatever kind of person you may be, you may be a Twitterer, or you may be a swallow, that is, you may find it very difficult to settle anywhere, but actually, there is a place for you in the house of God. And actually, God does not want you to be unsettled, he wants you to be settled in the house of God, and he wants you uh, not to go around in circles, but he wants you to put your feet on solid ground. <clears throat> so, uh, in Job chapter 11, he starts off by saying to Job, should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be justified? Should your lies make men hold their peace? And when you mock, shall no one make you ashamed? For you have said, my doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in your eyes. And that effectively, actually, was what Job was saying. He was saying, look, I understand this, and I'm righteous in the sight of God, which is why it's unfair that God is treating me like this. The thing is, his doctrine was incomplete. There are certain things that he didn't understand. <clears throat> and although, yes, he was righteous in the sight of God, but actually what eventually was going to be unmasked and uncovered was a self-righteousness. And that is what God was going to put his finger on and deal with. But that's for another occasion, if you have me back. Um, <clears throat> and then... He gives his counsel to Job. And before we look at from verse, uh, from verse 13, just if you wanted a bit of study yourself, Eliphaz, who's the previous person, the previous friend, and he's the eldest of the three friends, and he really comes from a position of experience. But if you wanted to look at his words of counsel, you'll find them in chapter 5, um, <clears throat> And from verse 8, don't look at it now, but I'm just giving it to you, have a look at it, and consider something of his description of the Lord and his counsel to Job. There's some tremendous things here. <clears throat> but then um, Zophar gives his counsel. I draw your attention to verse 12, because I think it's actually quite funny, really. Because he's talking about, <clears throat> um, can, can foolish men or vain men, uh, wicked men, ever become wise? And then he says, again, this verse 12, he says, an idiot, reading from the New American Standard, an idiot will become intelligent when the foal of a wild donkey is born a man. So if ever a donkey produces a man, that is when the idiot can become intelligent. I think that's quite, well, I think it's quite funny anyway. <clears throat> and it's only the Lord who can make us wise. Naturally speaking, we are foolish. That's, that's the point he's trying to say. So he gives his counsel. <clears throat> and we're going to spend our time really looking <coughs> at verse 13. So what we're going to do, these two, two verses, verses 13 and 14, speak of the principles of how we are to approach the Lord. Verse 13, the first part of this verse, is to do with preparation. So the New American Standard version says this, if you would direct your heart, or the King James Version is, if you prepare your heart. So friends, if we are going 
to seek God, if we're going to come through to a place where God hears our prayers and we prevail in prayer, the matter of preparation is absolutely vital. And Zophar says, Job, you need to prepare your heart. You need to direct your heart. Actually, or if you've got a Revised Standard Version, if you set your heart aright. And friends, this is really important that we do it. Would you please notice, this is incumbent upon us. Yes, we have a new heart that God has given to us, but we have to set that heart in the right direction. The word really in the Hebrew means to be firm or to, or to stand upright or to set upright. <clears throat> and the thing is, we have so many distractions in our hearts uh, and we need to deal with those when we come to prayer and not just to the prayer, to the prayer meeting. I want to throw out the challenge to us all more widely than that. But if we're going to really come through to a place where the blessings that he describes in verse 15 come to us, we need to set our hearts on the Lord. We need to set our hearts with him as the focus. So, preparation takes time. Whether it's a building, whether it's a meal, whether it's a musical instrument... Whatever it is, the preparation is the thing that takes the time, very often. And it's the preparation that is done in secret, isn't it? Point me the musician or the athlete that kind of draws attention to themselves when they're practicing their scales or they're doing their laps or their circuits or whatever they're doing. Uh, The chef in the kitchen, all by himself or herself, just... Preparing. Nobody sees it until the meal is presented. Preparation takes time and preparation is in secret. And it's true spiritually as well. Please, you have to be willing for the preparation to be done in secret. And you have to be willing for the preparation to be, to be, done, uh, to be done over a period of time. I mean, look, <clears throat> this applies to any Christian ministry. Not just in terms of getting through to the Lord in prayer. If you're somebody who wants to come through to a place where the Lord can use you, take note of the examples of, say, John the Baptist. He was where? In the deserts until his showing to Israel. Nobody saw him. He was desert schooled, not even homeschooled. That's where he learned his lessons. <coughs> And the food, locusts and honey. Well, those things are there for a reason, I think. But, but you get my point. All right? the, and he was there until the right time, and God showed him eventually to Israel. Or what about Elijah? We don't read anything about the preparation for Elijah. All we read is that he breaks in on the scene, 1 Kings 17, and he says to the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand... There will be neither dew nor rain for three years unless I say so. Wow. Well, the preparation is at least in part in that phrase, before whom I stand. He learned to stand before the Lord. My friends, that's why we're looking at this. What we need to do is to learn to stand before God. To learn to stand before the Lord, yes, for ourselves, for our families, friends, loved ones, etc. We need to learn to stand before God for the church. 
here, in this place? And what about for the country? What about for the country? <clears throat> well, what are we in particular encouraged in the scriptures to prepare our hearts to do? Or to direct our hearts to do? Well, there's one answer I'm going to give you for that. And I'm going to ask you please to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. So if you're in Job, you turn left. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. We're going to look at the examples of two kings, one negatively and one positively. 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. This is Rehoboam, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Need I enlarge? Perhaps just to underline it. If you don't set your heart on seeking the Lord, you will land up doing evil. It's the only way to guarantee righteousness is if you seek the Lord. I mean, look, friends, the psalm speaks about this. Psalm 119, the long one, starts off um, talking about blessed are those who seek the Lord. And then it says they also do no iniquity. I mean, it's marvellous. I mean, this is not sinless perfection. This is the heart of somebody who set himself to the Lord, and as far as God is concerned, they can do nothing wrong. Now, come on, parents, you know about this. If your little child is trying its level best to do whatever it's doing, tying up its shoes, cleaning the car, whatever it's doing, and makes a complete mess of it, as far as you're concerned, as the mum or the dad, they can do no wrong. Ah, oh, look at little John, isn't it sweet? Because the heart is right. Some of you don't look convinced. <laughs> Friends, we're to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. Now this is not a, uh, a teaching sermon on how to seek the Lord. I'm simply pointing out the principle. But you do need to learn how to seek God. You do need to learn to seek the Lord. It's why you've been put on this planet, actually. Everybody's been, 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 been given life and breath and all things in order that we might feel after God, that we might seek him and find him. And the scripture says that if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. And that's the encouragement, my friends. <clears throat> and it's the heart attitude that the Lord is looking for. And sometimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayers straight away because he wants to see how wholehearted we really are. So as you pray, don't give up. Seek him with all your heart. Don't seek an answer. Seek him. It's he, it's he coming into the situation that is the absolute key. He's not some jackpot that is kind of there, ready to kind of bring out the pennies for you. He is God. Seek him with all your heart. And seek his face, as the scriptures say time and again. <clears throat> and chapter 19 is the other king, <clears throat> the other, more positively, this is Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> chapter 19 <clears throat> and verse 3. <clears throat> 
Nevertheless, says the prophet to Jehoshaphat, there are good things found in you in that you've taken away the groves out of your land and you've prepared your heart to seek God. There it is. My friends, I want that kind of testimony on the great day. You've done, made a, made a, uh, you may have made plenty of mistakes. Simon, you have, I know. But you've prepared your heart to seek me. I want that testimony. And I suggest to you that you follow Jehoshaphat's example. <clears throat> it wasn't just for a king. And why am I looking at a king? You may say, well, I'm not a king. I, you're, you're called to be a king. You and I are called to rule and to reign with the Lord. That's why these kings are here. So we need to follow that example. But it wasn't just the kings. Chapter 30, same book. Chapter 30. <coughs> and verse 19. Hezekiah. This is his, this is his prayer. <coughs> Hezekiah prayed for the end of verse 18. Saying, may the good Lord pardon everyone that prepares his heart to seek God. Friends, these were people who actually weren't obeying the letter of the law for, very, for, for various reasons. So please don't think that God is out to dot every up and cross every T as far as your life is concerned. He's not. He wants your heart. My sons, says the proverb, give me your heart. And so... Thank God you have a, a heavenly intercessor. Here's Hezekiah praying. We have a heavenly intercessor. Do you not think he will be praying? Lord, forgive him, forgive her. He's prepared his heart to seek you. Though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And friends, when it comes to our interceding and praying for others, this is a principle we need to adopt. We need to pray that the Lord will forgive others, even if they're doing the wrong thing, but, but, but pray nevertheless that their hearts will be right with the Lord. <clears throat> uh, if you go elsewhere, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through this, but I'll give you the scriptures even so. Uh, no, let's move on. Ezra chapter 7, chapter 7 and verse 16. So the point I'm trying to say friends, is that this is the people. Everybody was, had prepared their hearts. At least Hezekiah was praying for those that had, been, that had prepared their hearts. But uh, the next book, Ezra. <clears throat> Ezra, again, is an example of an individual. Verse 10 of chapter 7. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Can I throw out a challenge to, you, to us all? How much are you seeking the Lord in his word? That's where you're going to find the Lord. If you're the sort of person who dips in and out of the Bible at whim, or when there's a crisis, well, God have mercy. The Lord isn't just there to kind of give you a pill, a panacea, a quick fix. He wants your fellowship. He wants your company. He's God. He wants your heart. Now, I realise there are times when the Lord does allow crises to come and that's when we really do turn to him. But it's in order to effect a change within us. <clears throat> but part of that is that we seek the Lord in his word. 
Start to do it if you haven't already done it. Get into the scriptures on a regular basis. Read, meditate, study, memorize. Don't use a commentary unless you have to. There are good ones. Don't use a commentary as first port of call, is what I'm saying. Read the scripture. Seek out of the book of the law and read the prophecy prophecy of of Isaiah says. It does not say, seek out of the book of the Lord and read and have a commentary on the side. Or listen to an internet sermon on that verse. It doesn't say that. I'm not saying, please hear me correctly, I'm not saying you should never look at a commentary. I'm not saying you should never listen to another sermon. But don't make that your first port of call. Seek the Lord in his word. He is your teacher. Did you know that? Some of you, I don't think, did. (laughs) Or if you did, you're very quiet about it. Well, may the Lord help you to grasp it more. Help us all to grasp it more. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is able to come alongside us and instruct us through the word. Hallelujah for that. So, this is all part of the preparation. Set your heart. I'm I'm talking about attitudes here, (laughs) alright? There's no quick fix to this. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Not only that, but to do it. The, The seeking of the law then had an impact upon his life. And then he was able to teach it. Do you see the order here? It's very important. Seek the law of the Lord, do it, and then teach it. Preparation is foundational. Preparation is absolutely foundational. (coughs) So friends, what I'm saying is, in the corporate context, (coughs) in, in an individual sense, we need to get a good foundation to our spiritual life. That's absolutely vital that we do. And the scriptures speak about what those foundational things are. Not least the words of the Lord Jesus, but we need to hear his word and obey it. These things are utterly foundational. But in terms of of corporate prayer, I suppose what I'm bringing to you from these words in Job is we need to learn to seek the Lord together. That means we come to the Lord in prayer from a position of saying, I don't have the answers. Don't come to pray. Do you know what I mean? The kind of prayer that says this. Lord, <clears throat> we're praying about da, 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 whatever that is. And Lord, you know, um, you know what it says in your word. This, this and this and this. And really, Lord, as a church, we should be doing blah, blah, blah or whatever it is. You're kind of talking to the Lord, but actually you're telling everybody else in the prayer meeting what your agenda is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Have, have you ever been to that kind of a meeting? That's not seeking the Lord, that's imposing your agenda. I love coming to the meetings when we come and say, Lord, I really don't know what the answer is here. We don't know what the answer is here. And incidentally, when you pray, please use the corporate pronoun we. It's not just you, you're leading on behalf of us all. Lord, we do not know what you're doing. We do not know what you're saying. Maybe you say, Lord, we do not know why these things have happened. Lord, we can't explain everything. But we want you. We want to seek you. We want you to come into the situation. 
Do you understand me? A few more nods on that occasion. Praise the Lord, you're awake. <clears throat> That's good. Back to Job. Chapter 11. So there's the preparation. And then that must lead on to the prayer. <clears throat> if you would direct your hearts, verse 13 of chapter 11, right, and spread out your hand to him. What an interesting phrase. And it is speaking, of course, about prayer. Psalm 143 and verse 6. Psalm 143, verse 6. <clears throat> I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsts after you. So it's an expression of longing. It's an expression of a desire for God. And the seeking God should lead to that kind of a prayer. Now, please, I'm not saying that we have, therefore, to impose this as a kind of a, as a ritual or as a rule, that we've all got to lift up our hands and pray. And not, the scripture does not say that, that we should do that. <clears throat> what it does say in 1 Timothy 2 is, I would that men everywhere pray, lifting up holy hands to the Lord without wrath and doubting. Likewise, also the women dot 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 and so it goes on what it's really saying is that the kind of prayer the Lord, that the Lord is looking for should certainly be if we feel it right to lift our hands let's do so but make jolly sure those hands are holy don't lift your hands to the Lord just because it happens to be a, a Pentecostal thing to do God forbid without wrath if you are holding on to anger don't lift your hands to the Lord don't pray is what it's saying. Better to get the anger sorted out, first of all, and then you can pray. And it's sometimes as you only it's as you seek the Lord that the Lord says, Simon, there's something here to be sorted out. And then I have to get it right with the Lord. Without wrath and doubting, no unbelief. So friends, I want to encourage you. Pray like that. Pray from a position of righteousness. Pray from a position where you are right with each other and pray from a position where you are right with the Lord and pray from a position where you are in absolute conviction, you have the absolute assurance that the Lord is going to hear, hear your prayer. It's praying in faith. <clears throat> That's really what it's saying. So that was Psalm 143 and verse 6, a longing for the Lord. And that was 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, if you wanted the reference. Psalm 44. Um, <clears throat> the previous psalm was a was a personal <coughs> uh, applied personally. Psalm forty four and verse twenty is corporate. <clears throat> psalm forty four and verse twenty. So although Zophar is giving this counsel to Job, I think there is application for a group of God's people together. Psalm forty four and verse four. I beg your pardon, verse 20. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? So do you see the corporate aspect there, the we? 
And it's a question of stretching out our hands to a, to a strange God. So don't reach out your hands and your heart to the Lord if there is idolatry there. What's idolatry? Well, you know what it is, I'm sure. But maybe what you haven't realised is that the scripture says that covetousness is like idolatry. Ephesians 5. So if there's a love for this world, don't reach out your hands to the Lord. Deal with the covetousness. But what you notice here in this verse, it also talks about if we have forgotten the name of the Lord. Prayer is a question of, of knowing how to approach the name of the Lord and use the name of the Lord. Praying in Jesus' name is not a kind of tag-on at the end of a prayer. Or at least it shouldn't be. The name of the Lord Jesus means his authority, which means that the Father is looking to hear prayer from us that has something of the, of the authorization of the Son of God in its origin. If you like, the Father will say to the Son, Son, did you get them to pray that? Was that your burden? Was that what you told them to pray? The Son might say, no, they're praying way off being there. On the other hand, he may say not. If it's way off being, you can add on all the phrases you like in the name of the Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. The Lord won't answer those prayers. But if we, can, if we can come to a place corporately in prayer where we pray in the name of the Lord because we know we have an authority from him to present our petitions, then we know that, we've, that, he, that, he, that he will answer us. <clears throat> well, these things are vital, I think. <coughs> If you, um, in, in Job, just going back there a moment, um, it says, if you stretch out your hands, let me tell you something else. Um, this, this idea of stretching out, it also has the meaning of, of covering something. So it's, it's the same word that is used for the covering over the items of the tabernacle. In the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, Leviticus the, the, the badger skins and all the other coverings over the top of the tabernacle, they were spread out. So spreading out was to do with covering. Now, if I'm, I hope you understand that it may be stretching the point a bit, but how does this relate to prayer? Cover everything in prayer. So the word pray means to pour out. So when you start to pray, cover everything. So, not you as an individual, otherwise everybody else will go, will go to sleep. <laughs> and there's a serious practical point there. Just pray the burden that God gives you to pray. But in the prayer meeting corporately, somebody may pray about one aspect of the situation, somebody may pray about another, somebody may pray about something else, and what, what we're doing initially is to cover everything in prayer. We are spreading it out before the Lord. It's the same word, uh, the same phrase that you find of Hezekiah in Isaiah 37 and verse 14, where Hezekiah spreads out the opposition from the Assyrians to the Lord. Do you remember? He goes into the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. That's what we need to do in prayer. That's what prayer is, spreading it out before the Lord. But the marvellous thing is, friends, is that as you do that... Be listening for the witness of the Spirit, and it may be that one other and one aspect or another will be something that it's that will register within the hearts of everybody there. Yes, that's what we need to pursue and seek God a bit more. 
So you start by, by praying generally, but then you begin to focus on the things that the Lord really wants you to get through on. To bring you to a place where you can indeed ask something in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he will give it. <clears throat> so have a look at uh, the way that Moses prayed. Um, not, not so much now. I'll give you... Um, well, well, these are just examples of of people who pray lifting up their hands. Moses, in Exodus 9, praying on behalf of Pharaoh and the Egyptians that the Lord would turn the plagues around. Friend, we are living in days we are seeing the judgments of God in the country. The church needs to be a church such that the people will see that when the church prays, something is changed. And here's Moses If you like, working with the Lord, the Lord changes his mind. Moses prays and God acts in response. Marvellous. Solomon as well. 2 Chronicles 6, 29. <coughs> it's another man who prayed. And I think, if I remember rightly there, he was kneeling down. And again, I'm not suggesting we should always kneel. There is a, certainly a time and a place for that. But it, what it's saying is it's coming from a position of humility. Do you understand? And then lastly, Ezra, chapter 9 and verse 5. And Ezra's stretching out the hand is more to do with intercession, I think. Because you, you, he feels the pain of what he's bringing to God. And friends, that is the difference, essentially, between intercession... And other kinds of prayer. In intercession, you, you feel it yourself. God shares something of the pain of it or the burden of it with you. Um, you find at the end of Isaiah 53, speaking about the cross and the Lord Jesus, it says he made intercession for the transgressors. Earlier on in the chapter, it says... God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's the same word. It's a word speaking about somebody coming as an intermediary to separate two people who are loggerheads. That's what intercession is. And the Lord Jesus was our great intercessor. Taking the wrath of God upon himself. Feeling it. Experiencing it. Knowing it. And God laid on him the iniquity of us all so that you and I wouldn't have to have it laid on us. Thank God. <clears throat> and so therefore, friends, for, for genuine intercession, which we must aspire to, we say, Lord, please, will you share with me how you feel about this? And allow God to do that and pray. And sometimes you can't pray. Romans 8 says... He makes intercession for us with, with groanings that can't be uttered. And it's something that you just feel. I was hearing about a lady <clears throat> the other day who hearing of the experiences of some children in school beginning to want to transition to the opposite sex. Friend, can you grasp something of the grief of that? Oh, how we've got something to learn, I think. And it's not just feeling it emotionally, it's experiencing something of how God feels about it. That is what intercession is. 
and uh, in the New Testament, spreading out your hands to the Lord. I've touched on one scripture already, but let's just consider another aspect of this. Luke 22 and verse 44. Luke 22 and verse 44. <clears throat> Being in an agony, he was praying very fervently. And that word fervently or earnestly literally means with the hand stretched out. Or stretched outwardly, I should say, not so much the hands, but stretched outwardly in that kind of a way. Being in an agony, he was praying very fervently. This is the kind of prayer that we must aspire to. It's going to be costly, friends. And I, for one, feel as if I've only just started. Another way that this word is used and Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, we're almost at an end with this for this afternoon Acts chapter 12 and verse <coughs> 5 so Peter was kept in prison <coughs> but earnest Prayer for him was made by the church of God. Prayer was made fervently for him by the church of God. Friends, that is the kind of prayer that biblically Zophar is talking about to Job. Job, you need to set your heart right, you need to focus on seeking God, but Job, you need to reach out to the Lord. And you need to be willing to be earnest, you need, willing, you need to be willing to be fervent, <clears throat> and you need to be willing to share the burden of God. Back to Job chapter 11 briefly before we conclude. <clears throat> One other condition here which I'm going to touch on. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. Well, I suppose we've touched on that, the need for us to make sure that we're right with the Lord as we come to pray, but we need to confess our sin. Iniquity here actually means vanity or trouble or corrupt affections. And when it uh, talks about wickedness at the end of the verse, it's more to do with injustice in dealing with ordinary matters. So if there's any corrupt affections in us or any injustice or unrighteousness in how we handle things and how we judge things Zophar is saying and the Lord is saying through him put it away from you don't let wickedness dwell in your tents and that can be corporate of course as well <clears throat> so the result of this we've looked at preparation we've looked at prayer and then here is the product, because it begins with PR, or if you don't want another word, here's the result. This is the blessing, this is what we're aiming for, friend. Verse 15, then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect. You could lift up your face without spot, was how the authorised version put it. There's a maturity that's talked about here. The Lord looks at us 
as if we're his bride, without spot or wrinkle. And you would be steadfast <coughs> and not fear. And then verse 16, for you would forget your trouble. Now friends, I want to bring this as a very specific encouragement to you this afternoon. If you take on board the things that Zophar is saying, any trouble that you have had, you will forget. Do you see why he's saying this to Job? He's saying, look, Job, I know you're really going through it now, but actually, there'll come a time you'll forget it. And actually, that's exactly what happened at the end of Job's life. But friend, it's true for you as well. You will forget your trouble. As waters that passed by, it'll be there, but it'll be, to coin a phrase which we use, it'll be water under the bridge. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. <clears throat> Darkness will be like the morning. Then you would trust. I'm going to read the New American Standard rather than the authorised here. Then you would trust because there is hope. Another thing I want to bring to you, friends, for this afternoon. There is hope. There is a future. If you take on board these principles. <coughs> and you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you. And many would entreat your favour. That is the heritage of the man of God, the woman of God, the church of God. That learns to approach God in the way that the scripture is talking about in these verses. Well, may God help us. One thing which we have not touched on is where spiritual warfare comes into it. And I'll just finish with this. As we intercede and as we pray, the Lord is able to show us where there is something of demonic activity. We must not assume it and see demons under every bush. Neither must we ignore the possibility of that. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world, etc, etc. And if the Lord shows us that, then we can begin to call out to the Lord. Please notice what I'm saying. You call out to the Lord to deal with the enemy. We can only deal with the enemy ourselves, or I should say rule with the Lord in dealing with the enemy, if he gives us his authority to do so. Because the scripture is absolutely clear that whatever we bind on earth shall already have been bound in heaven. But there is a place, the scripture says, for bringing something of a rebuke or a resistance or a, or a binding uh, against the demonic powers that are at work. But we need to be led by the Lord. And you will only know what's going on in the heavenly places if you set your heart. To see God. Shall we pray, please? Father, we want to thank you so much for the principles of your word. Thank you so much for giving us this, this instruction that we can come to a place where we have such fellowship with you that you look at us without, as if there's no defect, no moral defect, that there's righteousness there. 
that you can bring us to a place where we're steadfast, where we don't fear, where you bring us to a place where we can even forget the trouble. And it's like water going by. Oh Lord, help us. Bring us to that place, we pray. And teach us to seek your face. Help us to set our hearts upon you in such a way that we learn how to pray in such a way that you hear and that you answer. We're asking this, Lord. We don't deserve anything from your gracious hand, but we are asking so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be honoured and glorified. Amen.